I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. This year, we've almost tripled the size of our team within 18 months. And so there's just been a massive shift in just what the makeup of our team looks like, what they know about us. So the COO Alliance, I feel like in the last few months has had this huge focus on team building and culture which is something that wasn't even on my radar before because I helped build the values. I helped build the culture here. So finding ways practically just to implement culture into the team has been so valuable. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is COO Alliance member, Huber Equity Group's Director of Operations, Alexa Lowe. Alexa drives company operations and services by designing and implementing new business systems and processes. At Huber Equity, she developed an integrated operating system that has led to exponential growth in the number of acquired units. Alexa started her professional career in politics, working under the Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives, comes from a family of nine kids, and has really borrowed a lot from how her family was run to how she runs the company today. And it's working. They tripled the size in the last 12 months. Hope you enjoy this episode and check out all of our Second in Command podcast episodes on our YouTube channel as well. We'll see you on the inside. So Alexa, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, nice to have you with us. Um, it's also great to have another COO Alliance member with us on the podcast as well. Why don't we start with that, actually? Yeah. Do you remember what it was that you were looking for when you decided to join the COO Alliance, like as a director of operations, as a second in command? What was it that attracted you to the community? Yeah, uh, I think it was the beginning of the year. I was looking into ways to expand my skill set to grow professionally and was feeling the burden of time. Just didn't have time to read books quick enough, didn't have time to consume knowledge fast enough. And so I was looking for the community because conversationally, you just learn a lot more from others. So I took the plunge and signed up for um, the April event, which was phenomenal. And after that, have just been... Uh, thrilled to be a part of the community, to learn from others. Um, yeah, just to be a part of it. That's cool. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to come to one of our in-person CEO Connect events as well. It's almost a fast track when you come to one of those events. You really get to build the connections with all the other members. I think you shed, sure. we shed the imposter syndrome a lot faster um, because we're surrounded with our peer groups as well. So, And then we also got to wear onesies and do the CEO Olympics as well. So <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and they, by the way, the hotel that was going to charge us for doing the egg toss, they dropped the fine. We did not get fined in the end for doing that egg toss. So 
Good, good. Are they going to let you back is the question. I don't think they'll let us back. I think we had <laughs> too much fun and they were a little, a little confused as to why they had all these executives running around wearing onesies all night, but that's okay. We're having our next events are going to be held at MIT in Boston at the in Endicott house. Are you coming to that one? Yeah. I'm not going to make it this time. I've got now a couple kids at home. Can't leave them again. So. All right. Well, we'll get you in for one one a year then, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. Talk to us a little bit about Huber Equity Group. What is it the company does? Um, what are you guys set up for and, and kind of poised for your growth? Sure, yeah. Uh, Huber Equity Group is a private equity firm that uh, focuses in commercial multifamily. So we acquire, buy and sell apartment buildings. And kind of what's our niche and what's made us unique is we find all of our deals off market. We have a team um, here in the office that makes over 150,000 cold calls a year to mom and pop owners across the nation, really in the Midwest and Southeast. Um, so we started with 40 units uh, about four and a half years ago, and we're now at 1,000 units, and we're really looking to scale to um, 10,000 in 10 years is the goal. Wow. So huge growth. I got a couple of questions right off the bat with all of that as well. So okay. commercial commercial real estate, multifamily, are you coming under pressure at all right now because of um, interest rates where we're now at like mortgage rates are now at 8% where banks are um, looking at their loan to value and changing covenants? Are you guys coming under any pressure around that? And, and if so, how are you... Um, you know, adapting so quickly to that? Because this has all happened in the last, you know, nine to 12 months. Sure. Yeah, uh, definitely. When it began to increase, we saw a huge dissonance between the seller sentiment of what their property value is worth and then what we could actually afford. And so it's been a few months of really tough underwrites. Um, we, we underwrite really conservatively. And so it would just compress the numbers. But Seller sentiment's kind of catching up, right? They're realizing that they can't sell as high as they wanted a year ago. Their property's not worth it. So it's starting to settle settle in. Debt's kind of settling in now, but for a few months, it's definitely tricky. Yeah, and are we seeing that that's happening as well? Are we seeing that um, property values are decreasing right now? Oh, for sure, yeah. We are, right? Yeah. Is I that think... because of the investor side versus just the the single homeowner side? Or is it because single homeowners can't afford it as well and they're just dumping? You know, I'm not as familiar with the residential space. Uh, we really work on 100 units or more. But I think what where we're really seeing it is just the number of trades has decreased significantly. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I think it was over 50% less like transactions in the last six months than before. So, Yeah, that was the number I was just hearing this morning as well, is that the number of transactions are decreasing because yeah. uh, the, the people that own the real estate they can't really sell it off because the person who's buying it is going to have to now basically finance it at much higher rates. So it's like no one wants the property and then to sell it, they're having either having to drop. So is it a good time for you guys in the position that you're in? Is it a confusing time? Is it both? It's confusing. It's good though, because we came in in 2020, just shifting over to commercial. And you know the part that makes us unique is we're going direct to seller. We're not dealing with brokers. We're not dealing with their opinions of value. We're dealing with the sellers and what they think the value is. And that gives us a really good cost basis. So we're not feeling it as much as more of your traditional broker source deals. We're kind of overcoming that because of the way that we find them. Mm. 
Talk to me about the cold calling. 150,000 cold calls in a, in a year is extraordinary. Now, are you doing this all with North American cold callers? Are you going offshore for that as well? No, that's all in office. It's just actually a team of three. So between three, we're making that many. Um, yeah, so we started, our, our kind of background is uh, here in Columbus, we were in the residential space and uh, flipping houses. The way that we found our houses was just knocking on doors, calling people whose houses just looked like they needed some help saying, do you want to sell? Seems like, you know, the grass is long. It seems like maybe this isn't a property you want anymore. Can we take it off your hands? So we got them at a major discount because of that, right? 2020, shift focus a little bit. We moved into commercial space, applied that same cold call. Hey, we think like if it's a sleepy owner, somebody that's just done operating it, we're coming in saying, we can solve that headache. We'll give you the cash. We'll let you, we'll take it off your hands and you just get the big windfall of selling. So 150,000, it was, you know, I think when we started one guy calling, just making his list, but now we have a whole CRM behind them, a whole source of uh, numbers for them that really helps support that uh, volume. So what's the DNA of a cold caller? What, what do they look like, act like? How do you hire them? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they're absolute sharks. Uh, they've got a huge drive, right? Uh, we, our acquisitions guys are just the CEO of their territory territories. So they have a lot of drive to be independent, um, a lot of just personality with the sellers. And then they have a, a good knowledge of the industry too. It's crazy. It's, it's interesting because it, it seems to be one of those either a dying skill or a skill that's moving more and more offshore right now. And I'm not sure what that is. Mm -hmm. You've been able to find them all just in the Midwest. Are these people that want to move into other sales roles? Or are they just happy working kind of as the, as you mentioned, the CEO of their territory? Yeah. I mean, some of the relationships that we build with sellers are a year plus long. And so really we're looking for people that can develop those relationships that are cool. Just like shooting the breeze with someone for five minutes every six months, just building those relationships. So, um, yeah, we've been able to find phenomenal guys. We're, we're coming in or they're coming in, we're coaching them, we're training them. Most of them don't have any experience in our industry, but they're really motivated. Um, super excited to be a part of the real estate industry. Love that. All right. So what was your background in getting into it? I mean, you've been with Hoover Equity Group now for over four years. What was your background in getting into this role and how did you learn the industry? Yeah. So I was with Joe Huber uh, prior to that. They were uh, doing an HGTV home and they kind of hooked me with the design piece. I was transitioning out of a job as a nanny um, and they brought me in just for help. Right. I think when I started, um, they had just they had just wrapped the show. So seven days a week, 12 hour days. I came into the dining room and there were pizza boxes everywhere, job materials, paperwork, just Spewing over the place. Started with no job title, no job description, um, no really onboarding or training, but just to just to help. From there, just build out their their systems and processes. Kind of my sweet spot is bringing order to chaos, and um, it was chaos. <laughs> all right, so you came into something very fresh, very new. Um, had to kind of figure all this out for your own. So. How do you then kind of continue to, to figure and grow? I mean, one, one thing is clear, like you joined the CO Alliance, so you're looking to that for some of your growth. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But how else have you grown in your role as a second in command? 
Yeah. Um, about every year, I really try to sit down and think through like, what are the skills that I need for the issues that we're having today? Um, so I do that pretty intentionally every year, every quarter, look at that and readjust. And sometimes it's reading books. Sometimes it's YouTube university. Sometimes it's uh, networking with people in those particular areas, but just trying to pull from all of them as much information as I can roadmap it out and pivot when I need to. It's interesting. That was a comment that one of our CEO Alliance members made a couple of years ago at one of our events. I was talking about that we really needed to constantly invest in our people and grow their skills. And one of the members said, well, we also need to recruit and hire people that are always growing their own skills independently, like really hiring people that want to continue to grow. Have you always been that kind of a person that you've always kind of invested in yourself and you've always wanted to grow independently of what the company might be saying or your weaknesses or areas to improve on? Yeah, I think so. Um, I am pretty intentional. Um, I love to not be bored. And so if I ever feel like a stagnant path, then I'm, I'm, I'm tweaking and innovating. Okay. So you, you look to join the CO Alliance and you said that part of it was, you know, there's not enough time to be able to learn from all the other resources that exist. Um, and you like the learning from others. What kind of things have you picked up so far? You've been, you've been a member for about seven months now. What, what do you think you've learned so far from the first in-person event you attended and then also from our online monthly events? Yeah, gosh. Well, this year, you know, we've almost tripled the size of our team um, within 18 months. And so there's just been a massive shift in just what the makeup of our team looks like. Uh, what they know about us, our culture. And so the CO Alliance, I feel like in the last few months has had this huge focus on team building and culture, which is something that wasn't even on my radar before. I wasn't really thinking about it because, you know, I helped build the values. I helped build the culture here. Um, so finding ways practically just to implement culture into the team has been so valuable. Mm. What's the, what are the big changes been and, and what's the size of your company now? How many employees do you have now and how many did you have like a year ago? Yeah, so we've got 30 across all of our assets and then here in our office, we have just under 15. Okay, so about 45 total that you're overseeing and then like a year ago, you would have had about 15 people. Yeah. How has the company changed or how have you had to adapt to that change then over that period? Yeah, well, gosh, man, so much, but... Um, our, our company has really shifted and it used to be everyone just pitches in on everything regardless of the need, right? Where if we are acquiring a property, our team's going down there, walking every unit, and it's kind of who has capacity to do the work that's being done. And as we've shifted, as we've grown, it's really been more of whose expertise and area it is. And then from there, it's like building out the expectations for those roles, making sure that we're putting people or communicating the right information to the right people at the right time. And so that's kind of been my job recently is just figuring that out, whether it's KPIs, whether it's coaching a person to um, be able to present what's going on in their area better or you know, building out the systems and processes to transfer that information. That's kind of where I'm sitting now. Do you think your skills and the, the leadership team or management team skills have had to adapt and change as well? I mean, you mentioned the whole, Absolutely. it sounds like in the early stages, you had the jack of all trades, master of none, right? Like everybody could could work on lots of stuff and you just assigned whoever was available and into it. 
And now you're starting to hire people that have maybe more of the skill set or you're putting people working on specific skills. How about the skills of the management team? Have you adapted and changed? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very much gone from, yeah, you're right, doing everything to being able to lead the team, to set those clear expectations, to um, be more strategic, thinking past just three months, thinking past a year, like what do we want it to be in three years and five years and 10 years? What do you think Joe saw in you? Because for him to start giving you some of these responsibilities pretty early on, and as the companies continue to scale, what's he seeing in you that um, allows him to, to you know, feel more comfortable in giving you more and more responsibilities? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm brutally honest. First, I've got a, just an ability to see through all of the, the crap that's going on and understand the vision and then take us there. So he's got you know a million ideas a minute. I'm able to come in and say, like, a lot of these suck. Let's just do this one or these three. And then I can lay out the path, right? So I've been able to do that from day one. This is where you want to go. I know all of the steps to get there, or at least I'll figure it out if I don't know. So how do you how do you artfully tell a CEO that some of their ideas suck? When do you do it? How do you do it? Can you kind of walk us through doing that so that they don't get their back up and they don't argue? Sure. Uh, well, so we, I like to say that we were kind of founded on uh, Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference which I'm not sure if you read it, but it's got different tactics on how to negotiate. And this guy, Chris Voss, I think used to be like a CIA uh, negotiator with terrorists. So that's his background, but we've taken that and we use it pretty much across the board at our company, but I use it and Joe uses it with each other, right? We'll, we'll mirror to make sure that we're getting the right information. We'll label all the emotions because there's a lot of emotions all the time. Um, and then we really fight to get down to the real issue. So sometimes I hold off on, on timing on those, but I, we also set time every week that we know it's like the time to deal with the issues that we have. So I like that. I like the structured approach with that as well. So you've mentioned a couple things that make me think that you might actually be using the EOS systems. Gino Wickman's book traction. Are you using the EOS model? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we implemented it about two years ago. And how's that working for the company? What are your favorite parts of that system? And how have you had to um, maybe adapt or iterate the systems to make them fit for your company? Sure. Yeah, it's going really well. I think it's given us language on how to set some good strategy for the short term, you know, quarter, one year, three years. Um, there are still areas that we're tweaking and adapting. Um, as we always are, there are some areas that we don't really use at all, but really just the cadence of the meetings, the structures of an L10 have been really valuable for us just to keep us on track, keep us focused, identify the most important issues. I think that's where we really excel. And I'm also curious, I'm going to ask a little bit more about that in a second, but I want to ask a question before I forget. Um, you mentioned uh, Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. Is Joe, your CEO, a member of the Genius Network? I don't think so, no. You know, Chris, Chris Voss was one of the speakers at a Genius Network um, event. It's a mastermind community for entrepreneurs. So I was curious if Joe was a member of that. Okay. Not that like the book's been very popular on its own, but I was just trying to connect some dots there. So what, what areas of the EOS model do you not use and why have you chosen not to use them? Yeah, we haven't, we haven't dove super deep into the processes piece just because it's not what makes a ton of sense in our brains to, to incorporate. We kind of got our own 
process for setting processes, if you will, uh, that we haven't had to do that across the board. Where we're strong, right, is the vision, the traction, the people. It's something new that we've really incorporated, how we're looking at them. I think that they, um, I forget what it's called, the people analyzer, where it's with the core values. We've incorporated that recently, which has been really, really clutch. Yeah, I think you're doing it in the right approach, too. I find that so many companies try to take something like EOS and they try to put all the systems in place right away and it almost breaks the company more than help the company. Sure. Because there's too many changes, too many systems. It feels like what you're trying to do is take a system that works, putting it deep into the company, then you find another need or another opportunity to use the system and you're kind of layering it in as you go. I think it's a really good approach to use. Thanks. Yeah, it's worked well. I think yeah, there's there's elements that will always be tweaked. I mean, we look at it quarterly, right? So it, it, it's helpful for that. Did you work with an EOS implementer at all? Did you work with somebody come in and actually coach the company or did you as a company self-implement? No, I dove super deep into it for about a quarter to figure it out. Well, I know a lot of our members of the COO Alliance uh, use EOS as well. So I know in our member Slack community, you might actually have some opportunities to drop in some questions with them about specific EOS systems. My guess is about 40 or 50% of our members use EOS. Dang. Yeah, I'll have to do that. Yeah, there's some good opportunities to just talk to them about how are they iterating them or a system that's maybe not working or partially working. You're at a good size for EOS too. I think EOS tends to break down when you get to about 100 employees. But when you're in the kind of um, the 50-ish zone where you your company is, I think it's a really, really good overall operating system to use for sure. You've mentioned kind of quarterly plans two or three times. You know, once was even before we went live, but a couple of times as we were, we've been talking. I'm curious how you work with quarterly plans for the company and then also for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about it recently and, and realized that I've kind of been living in like a 90 day world since a kid. Um, my dad would plop a huge white poster board down on our like kitchen table as kids and just write down a three month plan. Right. I'm one of nine kids. So there was a lot going on. It was hard to keep everything focused and aligned. And so I, I just, we lived in that world and I didn't really think anything of it. So I took it into my college years. Right. And it made sense because you can accomplish a lot in 12 weeks and it's not a whole year. So if you fail, it's whatever you move on. So in college, I would do the same thing. I'd write down my three months, write down the goals for the three months. And then when I got married, we kind of applied it to our marriage and our family did the same thing. And then brought it into the business world, not knowing that it's something that everyone does, right? Everyone runs on quarters and got to apply the same strategies and ideas to that too. Wow. Okay. So a couple of really interesting points there um, to ask about. The first one is <laughs> nine kids in the family. Where did you, where were you in the nine? Well, I was a uh, third, but the oldest girl, which is really important because the two older brothers readily admit that I'm the oldest. Right. They were kind of useless. Yeah. yeah. So right. <laughs> how does a family of nine operate? What do you do that makes that kind of family work? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, you'd have to ask my mom because she's, you know, the the one that's running it. But everyone chips in. Everyone kind of helps with everything. I had a lot of ownership over what I did as a teenager, I helped out with the kids a lot, but it's a well-run well machine for sure. 
And do you think you think a lot of those systems that you used and your family used to run the family outside of just the quarterly plan as well? Do you think you bring those into the business world? My guess is that you would. Probably, yeah. I think everyone has their own unique personality. Without communicating what the goals are, without communicating what we want to do, we're not going to be able to move literally as a as a as a unit to that. Yeah. And I think there's also just a massive need for adaptability, right? You can plan as much as you want, but if someone falls down and breaks their arm, there's not really anything that you can do to keep that going. What do you guys do is like for, I, for, do you book a table for 11 when you go out for dinner or do you take two cars to places or drive like a family bus? <laughs> amazing as kids yeah we had well i learned to drive on a 15 passenger van so that's awesome all right yeah talk about working with an entrepreneur um and ceo like joe what is it that makes the 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 kind of role between you and him work i think from the beginning we've been really collaborative and we've really tried to operate in our strengths and the same time um we've been really aligned behind the same kind of mission and value. So I think when we've got the same mission in mind, we know what the end goal is and we know what we're trying to achieve with building it. Everything else kind of falls in line because of that. I like it. Um, You talk about kind of the success of the the Hoover Equity Group, and I'm curious what you consider, you know, the overall success of the group and and what you've done that's helped make that company successful. Mm. Well, it's, it's very non-traditional, but we kind of uh, measure our success by our giving, something that makes us, you know, that sets us apart from private equity in general is our, our heart to give back to communities. And so we've been able to give over a quarter of a million per, or within our firm and then raise another three quarter of a million to organizations here locally and globally. And so that, I think, just being able to see the impact on the communities and know um, just that families here in Ohio and also overseas are just impacted that, by that has been just heartwarming and hugely successful. It's amazing. How about some of the pitfalls? What, what's been some of the struggles you've had to adapt to? Yeah, we often in the past have hired too quickly without expectations, whether it's an internal team member, a contractor, a property management firm, we hire industry experts, we bring them in and they flounder. What we realized after reflecting is like, we're hiring them without any expectations, without any clear communication of what their deliverables are and just asking them to succeed with nothing that's like giving them a North star. Um, and so it's been hard. We've lost a lot of money that way. We've hired the wrong people. And then sometimes it takes years to regain the traction in that seat. But ultimately, it's it's led to the ability to have really, really clear roles and responsibilities and really fight to get the right people in there, but give them all the tools that they need to su- succeed. And is part of your quarterly planning a quarterly debrief as well? Like, do you do a retrospective or a review of your past quarter as part of your quarterly planning at all? Yeah, for sure. We spend several hours there. Yeah, my gut, my gut is you would. How do you work with your direct reports? Kind of walk me through what your one-on-one meetings with your direct reports are like. Yeah. Well, since we operate on traction, um, I always start with rocks, right? I want to know where they're headed. What are they doing? What are their next steps with those rocks? 
And then from there, it's just talking about where they want to grow, um, what areas of the business they're feeling a little overwhelmed in, making sure that they're in a good capacity to be able to do their work well. And then always just checking in personally, how's life, (laughs) you know, making sure that they're doing okay. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of the modules in my Invest in Your Leaders course is running one-on-one meetings. I was speaking with a CEO the other day, and he said it's literally changed his entire business by by operating with this one-on-one coaching model that I've I've rolled out, and I've used it for twenty-five years. So let's go into to a little bit of Alexa. What's making you successful, other than the quarterly planning, other than the, than the kind of reviews you're doing? What do you think um, has made you successful in this director of operations, a second in command role? Sure. I have really fought in the last few years to embrace a fearless mindset. So doing the things that scare me, doing the things that are really uncomfortable, taking me outside of my comfort zone. And usually when I get bored, I know that I'm not doing that. So about every few months, you know, every six months, I'm like, man, there's like nothing going on. I should quit. There's nothing to do. And that's when I know it's like, okay, time to take something new on time to time to grow in these areas. Well, and, and I think as well as leaders at some point, I think this is critical for, for all of us as leaders, we have to realize that our job, our core role is to grow people. Mm. The reality is our to-do list of stuff that needs to get done doesn't mean we have to do it. Sure. Right. It means how can we take all the stuff on our to-do list, delegate 100% of it to people, and then spend our time growing their skills and growing their confidence, growing their capacity and then find out more stuff that we can do to grow and delegate. It's almost like delegate everything and then spend all of our time growing people, growing their confidence and skills. I had a C- CEO recently came to me and his CEO has been a member of the CEO Alliance for a couple of years. And he laughed and he said, the company's running so well, I feel like I need to go break stuff just so that I have something to work on. I'm like, dude, don't do that. Don't do that. Seems like a bad idea. Yeah, very bad idea. All right. I want to go back to the 21, 22-year-old Alexa you know, you're leaving the family of nine, you're just getting started on the on your business career. What advice would you give the 21 year old that you know to be true today, but you wish you'd known back then? Yeah, well, 21 year old Alexa had just graduated college with a philosophy and religious studies degree. I had just gotten married. We were hundreds of thousand dollars in debt of college, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I was a massive introvert. And I tied that introvertedness with social awkwardness and uh, just the, you know, poor people skills and lived with that crutch. So I never tried to like go outside of that comfort zone. Now I kind of know that introversion is not social awkwardness. It's just deriving energy from being by myself. But if I would go back, I would say, Alexa, do the things that scare you and know the values of relationships. So go out and make them. I love it. I'm glad you're a member of the CO Alliance. You're going to have a lot of great relationships with your years with us as a member. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. All right. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Make sure you also check us out on our Second Command podcast YouTube channel. This was Alexa Lowe, the Director of Operations from the Huber Equity Group. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.